Amos. How are you doing your annual Bible reading plan? Sometime, what is this? Is this September? Is this September? Okay. I have a hard time with remembering what month it is. Yeah, so how are you doing with your Bible reading plan? Keith is making fun. Are you in Amos maybe? I don't know. Maybe it's further along than that. Um, most of you do not live in a rural setting, much like um, my in-laws up in the central part of the state. My mother-in-law passed away not too long ago. Each time we would go to her home, we would have to leave the paved road onto the driveway, what you would call a driveway, but it was dirt. She, uh, she wanted to remind us to drive up the driveway in the right places because if we didn't drive up the driveway in the right places, we would make ruts, ruts and in, in the dirt. And way back in the days, some who are older or at least as old as I am remember the cars. We had the hump, you know, in the middle. Who's going to sit on the hump, right? You know, the transmission. And these ruts could go so far down where the tires are that it could be pretty close for the center of the car to rub and so what would you do well naturally you'd get out of the ruts and get one set of tires up on the hump in the road that's there but that means what that the other set of tires is they're they're off the other side and you're going to end up making another track she didn't like that where are you going pastor you know sometimes our bible reading can be like that we like certain passages, we like certain sections in our Bible, and we find that our Bible reading can be just in certain places in the Bible, and we like going back there. In fact, it wouldn't be unusual sometime for us to say, well, Pastor Keith just said, hope you can find Amos. When's the last time you had your devotional, your quiet time in the book of Amos? Wow, it's like, maybe never? You know? Who's this guy Obadiah? You know, what, what's Nahum all about? In fact, uh, whether it's in the pastorate or in the classroom, every time, I'm a or every time I ask, I say, you know, let's talk about it for just a second. Where would you say your weakest place in the Bible is? I mean, that place that you feel like you don't know as well as maybe some other places that you know better. Well, what would you say is the weakest? Now, not every single time, but almost every time, it's the prophets. And it's specifically the minor prophets. And so I've spent a lot of time trying to unpack the prophets both the major and minor. Why major and minor? Well, it's only the size of the book. It doesn't mean that they're more important or less important. It just means that there are four books, four prophets that are larger books, and then the others after Hosea are smaller books, and uh, they're, they're referred to as the minor prophets. In my study and in my trying to unpack this, and I'm fascinated by it, so... If you're not going to be excited about today, I am. I'm okay with that. I love it. I love Bible. I love doing this. And that's what we're going to do. Uh, and we're, we're going to look at, at Amos. Why Amos? 
Well, as I started to say there, I've divided the prophets up into four categories. Uh, I call them the ABCs of understanding the kings and the prophets. Uh, the ABCs is just kind of an, uh, an acrostic that helps me. Because there are prophets who have prophesied in Israel, during Israel's challenges, during the monarchy, during the kingship. There are prophets who prophesy during the Assyrian crisis. That is the kingdom of Assyria who attack Israel, who oppress Israel. And so there are prophets who prophesied during this oppressive time by the Assyrians. There are prophets who prophesy later than that, about 120 or so years later, who prophesy to Israel or Judah during the Babylonian con conflict, the, the Babylonian crisis. That is, that the Babylonians eventually attacked Assyria, took them over, and when they took them over, they continued moving toward the west and eventually to Israel. And so the Babylonians are now oppressing Israel and Judah. And eventually, though, unlike the Assyrians, the Babylonians will eventually be overcome by another nation who says, okay, you can go home, Israel. You see, because Babylon captured them, deported them to Babylon. But the Persians who defeated the Babylonians said, Israel? You can go home. And the king's name was Cyrus. And so maybe you see Assyria, Babylon, and Cyrus. And if you have those three divisions like that, then the prophets are sectioned off in four different sections. One kind of prophet to Israel. That is the ten tribes to the north after Israel had been divided. There were two tribes in the south. Ten tribes in the north. Since there were so many to the north, they took the name of Israel. The two tribes to the south, the largest province, it's kind of like putting Texas and Rhode Island side by side. Uh, this would be Judah and Benjamin. And so they took the name of Judah. Now the ten tribes in the north, known as Israel, will have their own kings. Judah will have their own king. Some of the prophets went to Israel during the Assyrian crisis. Number two, some of the prophets went to Judah before they were carried away by the Babylonians. Some prophets prophesied to the people of Judah in Babylonian captivity. And fourthly, some prophets prophesied to Judah when they got to go back home. So there's four categories of prophets. And over the next four weeks, we're going to take one out of each of those categories. One from the Assyrian crisis. One from to Judah before the Babylonian captivity. One from inside the Babylonian captivity. And one after they, or maybe two, I might cheat, when they go back home. Okay? I'm thrilled. Amos. Amos. Uh, that's a little bit of the background of, of Israel. What about the background of Amos? Well, here we go then. And we're going to be at different places in Amos, and then we're going to ask God, so, so what? We're always going to ask that. So the words of Amos, Amos, there's an interesting, Amos means um, burdened. 
or burden bearer, someone who bears a burden, Amos. Amos has got a burden. Who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. is that the Jordan Valley, the Jordan River, runs between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, is the largest rift in the world. That is, it's the largest ditch in the world. Uh, the Dead Sea being some 1,700 feet below sea level. So this is a cut in the earth. And there were a, a number of earthquakes, volcanoes in the area. Which one this is, we don't know. But Amos. Okay, thank you, Caleb. All right. And um, Amos is from Tekoa. Tekoa is a small town in Judah. Right away, when we start looking at the, the background of, of Amos and uh, see who he is, and the burden bearer, he's from Tekoa. And over in chapter 7, we read about him. We'll hit there a few times. But in chapter 7, in this conversation that he's having with the priest, he says that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really not a prophet. And my dad wasn't a prophet, so I'm not a prophet. I'm a shepherd, as this one says. I'm a keeper of sheep. And, oh, I also take care of fig trees. And now it's an interesting word in the Hebrew language. It's a fig splitter. You want to call somebody a name, just call them a fig splitter. You fig splitter. <laughs> it seems that what they would do is they would take a knife. When the figs were, were ripening, they'd take them and they'd split them. And, and somehow that caused them to be sweeter when it was time to harvest them. And so somebody didn't really have to be overly talented. It wasn't like they were cultivating it. We just need some people to go split the figs. And so he was a splig... Say that <laughs> A spig flitter. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right. So that, that's what he did. And, and when you take a look at where he's from, he's from Tekoa. Now right here it says, a shepherd of Tekoa which he saw concerning Israel. Now, normally we just read over these introductions, but whoa, wait a minute, pause for just a second. Tekoa, about 12 miles southeast of Jerusalem, means it's down in Judah. And he is called to go up to Israel. And he's a, he's a shepherd. Not far away from those shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night in Luke chapter 2. Not far away from that territory. That's where we keep sheep. And, and by the way, a shepherd is not way up on the, uh, the echelon of society. And, and neither, for that matter, is a fig splitter. Got it right there. Right? He's probably... He's probably testifying to the fact that he is a person of no means. He's just... Okay. Look at that chapter 7. Uh, I want to come back to it, but even right here, uh, right now, he, he's in this conversation with a priest, and, uh, and we will come back to it. But down in, in verse 12, 
uh, Amaziah is the priest, said to Amos, O seer, go flee away to the land of Judah. Anybody ever seen that bumper sticker um, on the back of a pickup truck? I love it. It's one of my favorites. And I don't mean to offend half of you, but I will. It's that bumper sticker on the back of a work truck. Ladders are on there, Bob, and everything. And the, the sticker says, we don't care how you do it up north. <laughs> Anybody who's ever been on the job site, every time you talk about doing jobs, says, well, the way we do it back home. Well, the way we do it back home. Well, the way we do it. This priest looks at Amos and he says, why don't you go back home? What do you think you're doing here? You seer, you prophet. And Amos's response, if I kept reading, go on. I was no prophet, nor the son of a prophet, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from the following the flock, and the Lord said to me, "Go prophesy to my people." He's I. Later, you're going to see he's not passive aggressive. But almost in this place, he's like, listen, you're getting all upset for no reason here, people. I am, I'm nobody. I'm not some potentate. I, I'm not some rich guy. I'm a, I'm my name. I'm a burden bearer. God's called me to come over here and do this. That, that's who I am. I, I'm a shepherd. I'm a, I'm I got no financial means. I got no, really, I've got no dog in this fight. I'm not really going to get anything out of this. I'm just doing what God told me to do. He goes to a place that right now things aren't too bad. Things seem to be economically doing okay. But because things are doing okay economically in a place like Israel, their attention isn't quite on God. In fact, one can see them beginning to drift further and further away from God. And as they further uh, drift further and further away from God, their moral standards continue to decline. Remind you of anybody? Huh? Remind you of anybody? A little bit of economic prosperity. A little bit of drifting away. Well, take a look. Uh, Amos 3.15. Let's do it. Just a little bit. Where's 3? Uh, okay. Amos 3.15. Amos 3.15. I will strike. This is the judgment that Amos is bringing. He says, I will strike the winter house along with the summer house. And the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. Who has a summer house and a winter house? Not picking on the snowbirds. I know the, most of them not here right now. Love you guys. They watch by uh, screen, by the, by the computer, so love them. But who has summer houses and winter houses? Who has houses made of ivory? Why, the economy's pretty good right now. Uh, we like where things are going here. Uh, take a look at chapter 5. Chapter 5. Look what else. Look what else Moses says to these people living in Israel. 
He's speaking for God, don't forget. And this is what he says. I hate and despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Wait a minute. Didn't we just finish a series in Exodus where we put together the tabernacle in the wilderness and here are the details about how to come before me and sacrifice the animals for forgiveness of sins? We just finished that back in Exodus. Now here in Amos... He's saying, I will not accept them in verse 22. And the peace offerings and your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Verse 23, take away from me the noise of your songs. The noise of your, to the melody of your harps. Pastor Keith, right? I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like ever. What do you think God thinks of us singing our catchy tune like that like that last one you know what we sang you know what that song was that we just sang the last song we just sang the gospel we sang about how Jesus bore the shame on the cross that he took away the wrath of God that was on us I like it wonderful song. I'm not putting it down. But if it's not happening in our lives, if it's not going on in our hearts and in our minds, what are we doing? What are we doing and what is God saying? You can just keep your song. If your life does not match up with justice, with righteousness, but you get to once a week come in and sing a song, God is saying, I'm not interested. These people were very unjust during these days. And their morality proved it. Chapter 2, verse 6. For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke their punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. There's a lot there that needs to be unpacked. I love Amos. I love bringing out the language. Time will not avail us to do that. Exodus chapter 22 says that if you loan your cloak to somebody in the daytime, that, excuse me, if someone, excuse me, if someone uh, gives you their cloak in the daytime, that is, they're going to give you their cloak in the daytime so that maybe you would give them some money. In other words, somebody loans their cloak to you, you give them something to help them. That's obviously a poor person. They've got a coat on. Uh, they can't afford to maybe eat or do something. They're going to, how about my coat? Hey, how about my, you know, how about a couple of bucks for my coat? 
Exodus 22 says that if you do that, make sure you give their cloak back to them before the sun sets. Because they need their cloak, they need their coat to keep warm in the nighttime. In other words, they're so poor they're willing to sell it. But you need to be so gracious and so kind to make sure that they have it back when they need it. So you see the atmosphere going. So that when Amos is speaking there, oh, you people, they've come to you. And it's probably a metaphor. It could be literal, but it could also be a metaphor because it's in poetic language right here. It, it, it could, you, these people are coming and selling everything they have and, and, and you're just taking advantage of them. Why, you're putting your foot right down on their neck and you're oppressing them. That's what you're doing, Israel. You're mistreated. You, you have no sign of justice within you whatsoever. And, and yet you still go to the temple with your sacrifices. And you still stand in the square with your beautiful song. And this is Amos. This is this southerner who's gone to Manhattan. This is the guy from someplace else who's come up to tell these people. We have lessons to learn. I, I, I just like reading through Amos and getting more and more of his character. I, I see Amos as the kind of shepherd, fig tree, taking care of... The, I mean, he's out there in the field, and God, like, like David was called away from the sheep, he's called away from the sheep. I want you to go there, and I want you to speak to them doesn't say this so be careful it's me kind of getting into the character because he says he's not a prophet I mean we don't have a scene here like we had with Moses Moses I want you to go back to Pharaoh and tell him Moses is like I don't talk so good you know or whatever we don't get that from Amos but we do get some things with this conversation with the priest and he's I have no effect here but You know, maybe one of the reasons I wanted to do Amos or maybe I wanted to do Prophets is, yeah, we're, we're moving into a season in which somebody else will stand here. And we want somebody who is... We want somebody who's been called of God who, in the proper sense of, of, of this phrase I'm about to say, in the proper sense of it, has no choice. Has no conflict, has no lack, if you will, of confidence. Hey, folks. This is who I am. God sent me here with this word. It's right here in front of me. Let's get it. Let's get it. That's what we want. We want an Amos. You begin to see the character. Well, we've got to press on. Those are lessons from his background. What about lessons from his call? Now let's go to that 7 a little bit more. Let's go to that chapter 7 just a little bit more. So here's what happens. Amos leaves Tekoa in the south, kind of like, you know, whatever, Georgia, you know, maybe Birmingham. And God says, I want you to go up to Manhattan. And so he leaves there, leaves his livelihood, and he comes up there. And then he's confronted by this Amaziah. We read a little bit of it. In verse 10 of chapter 7, 710. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. Oh, let's see, wait a minute. 
Bethel, means house of God, but that's not all it is. Were we to go back, you know I love doing this, but were we to go back to Kings and we would read about how the nation split, remember? And they had their own kings up here, and the first king who was up there, I'm going to call him Jeroboam the first. And do you know what the first king, Jeroboam the first, did in Israel? You know what the first thing he did was? He put a golden calf at the bottom of the nation and another golden calf at the top of the nation, saying to the people, I don't want you to go to Jerusalem anymore to worship, because if you go to Jerusalem and continue to worship, I know that your heart will be stolen by the south, and you'll want to reunite again with the house of David, and we're not going to do that. So I'm going to put a golden calf at Bethel. And I'm going to put a golden calf at Dan, which is up north. Now continue. And he said, uh, the priest of Bethel, so he's at one of these places, sent to Jeroboam. Now this is a different Jeroboam, but we are not going to press it. Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus says Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah, in verse 12, said to Amos, O seer, go flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took, took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Here's the message. You say, do not prophesy, shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with the measuring line. You yourselves shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. I see in this interchange, and I've already said just a little bit about that already, but what are the lessons now from his message? Oh, yeah. He's confronted by this Amaziah, the priest. One of these golden calf templars like this. Boy, this has got to be a pretty, pretty up the ladder kind of guy. You better cut it out. Amos says, wow. I better go back home. I better get out of here. And, and if you want to think about the quintessential prophet, that is a characterization of what people think about prophets, you know, the straightforward bony finger in your face, thus saith the Lord kind of guy, Amos is your guy. You're telling me to go home? I hear you. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you the only thing I can tell. The only thing that I can tell you. And he delivers the word of God. He delivers the word of God to him. You know, uh, we've been going through a lot of resumes around here. Uh, looking at guys and uh, uh, every now and then a question will come or we'll, not every now and then, every time and we'll ask the question so um, 
what's your motivation for sending us a resume to Florida? You know, I wonder sometimes, is, is the motivation the sun and the fun? Huh? You know, you spend a little time in Wisconsin. You might say, hey, little little warmer weather would be nice. Uh, I've, I've joked in the past, Lord, please don't ever send me to Alaska. I, I, I trust that if he did, I'd go. But where's the motivation for coming here? We want to know these kinds of questions. And, and, um, and motivation? I've only got one. He doesn't actually say this. I say it from the New Testament. I've been bought with a price, and therefore I'm not mine. I, I was a shepherd. I was taking care of the fig trees. And God said, go, and that's why I'm here. End of story. And then here's a guy. I'd really like to meet him. Here's a guy in chapter 1 who says in verse 2, and this is what he said. The Lord roars in Zion. I mean, could you step aside here with me and just pause for just a second and go into the life of a pastor? There he is. He's in the study. He's dealing with this issue in the church and that issue with these things going on and maybe some counseling, some different other things going on. Just a lot of stuff happening in his life. And somehow he has to take his calling and bring that with this level of humility, maybe married to the confidence, the humility that it's God who's speaking, but God has called to say, tell them, a lion is roaring in Israel. we don't have that pastor I mean lighten up a little bit we don't preach like we used to in the 50's you know this generation doesn't like the hellfire and brimstone if you don't like the hellfire and brimstone do not read Amos because here's a man who does have that humility but he also has that confidence the Lord roars in Zion and once again I call your attention if you're going to sit in this room, come on, I'm talking to you. If you're going to sit in this room or the fellowship hall, and there's going to be a guy, maybe a guy in his white there, they're going to answer your questions and that sort of thing. Somebody better ask, do you have the humility and the confidence to say what God says to say? That's who we're looking for. That's who we ought to be looking for. That's what we ought to want to receive. An Amos. From his background, from his call, and now from his mission. Lessons from Amos's mission. I, I like this. <laughs> Some things I know I'm a little quirky. But Amos 4.12 is underlined in my Bible. And it's the last part of it. So you might say 412D. The last line. 
It starts, therefore, thus I will do to you, Israel, because you will do this, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God. That's really his mission. That's what he's been called to leave Tekoa and go up to Israel and say to those people, prepare to meet your God. God is saying, I'm coming and you better get prepared. I'm coming and you better get prepared. I don't know. We like that? Do we have a little bit of economic? I mean, it's not like it was in 08, 09. Are we drifting a little bit further and further away from our God? Are we continuing to morally decline in our society? Is Amos saying to us, prepare to meet your God? You see, because I like what Alistair Begg says about this passage. He said, with a great accent, and I'm going to try to do his accent, Beloved, we live in an age where God is a mushy, warm and fuzzy, compassionate friend. And he says, I want you to know, God is not an invertebrate. God is not a jellyfish. I would say God is not schizophrenic. Yes, he is love, but he is also justice. And there is an end to God's patience. We live in a society. He'll never leave me or forsake me. God, I can do all things through Christ. I, I claim all of these things. And then I go on my merry way. There is an end to God's patience. And Amos is a quintessential statement about that fact. And this is what's going to happen to Israel. Lessons from his, from his mission. You know what, you people? You haven't changed since 1 Samuel chapter 9. You haven't changed one iota since 1 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, the people were crying out. What were they crying out for in chapter 8 and chapter 9? We want a king. We want a king. And it goes on to say in that passage of scripture, we want a king like the other nations have a king. And Samuel argued a bit with them. And then God said, no, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. Go and appoint for them a king. But when you, Samuel, when you go and appoint for them a king, you tell them how the king is going to treat them. And then you tell them that one of these days you're going to rebel against the Lord your God and following these kings, and I will remove you from this land. He says that all the way back there. And now, if you were to take a look, what Amos does, which is incredible to, incredible to me, in chapters 1 and chapter 2, he says, for three transgressions of Damascus. Where's Damascus? Damascus is in Syria. It's not in Israel. And, and if you go down a little bit further, you see three transgressions. And that's a metaphor again. It means for, a lot, for continuing to sin. For continuing to sin to Gaza, he says there. And you go on down to Ekron. And then you go further to Tyre. And all around, he's going, where? He's going, ah. Uh, 
the other nations? Well, today I can't tell a difference between you and those other nations. Because he says over in chapter 2, he's going to say, for three transgressions of Israel. Before he does that, in the paragraph before that, he says, for three transgressions of Judah and for four. I, I can imagine, I can imagine being in Israel, listening to Moses. This is his opening sermon. It's the first time they've heard him talk. And there he is. For three transgressions and for four, Damascus. For three transgressions and for four, Gaza. For Tyre. I'm sitting in Israel and I'm going, yeah, man. Give it to him. That Tyre, they're sorry people. That Moab, they're, they're no good people. Then he gets to Judah. I'm thinking, here's the prophet. He's speaking to Israel, and he says, for three transgressions and for four of Judah, I'm sitting up there in Israel, and I'm saying, you better believe it, man. You just give it to them. And bam, he says, for three transgressions and for four Israel. What? Run this guy out on a rail. For three transgressions and for four for Israel. You are an unjust people and God is going to take you out of this land. My friends, where are we? Oh, well, we're America. We've been founded on Christian principles. Why, this actually is the promised land. Oh, yeah. Theologians and preachers did that for a long, long time. I mean, folks, really? Here we are now. Two, three hundred years later, let's look around us. It's really not so different. This is a word to us from Amos. Secondly, from his mission. God says in chapter 4, that I've blessed you. I've disciplined you. God didn't say this, and it doesn't say in this passage, and I shouldn't say it because it makes it sound like, you know, God just throws up his hands. But in, in chapter 4, he begins in, in verse 6, and he says, I gave you cleanness of teeth. That's a good thing. In all your cities, and lack of and lack of bread in all your places yet you did not return to me I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest now there's a little mix about that some are saying that's a bad thing some say that's a good thing you know there are times when you want a lot of rain when you first plant right and then there are times when you don't want so much rain because then that could rot the fruit and the things that are coming so there's actually probably a, a statement of good things that God says I'm going to send the rain when you need it, and I'm going to stop it when you don't need it. It's a blessing. But then he continues on in verse 3. And you shall go out through the breaches and each straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. Chapter, uh, verse 4. Come, I'm sorry, wrong place. Verse 7 is where I should have been. I also withheld the rain, he said. Then verse 8. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew and many gardens and your vineyards and fig trees and your olive trees and your locusts. And he goes on and on and on. And he says, I've blessed you. 
and I've disciplined you. I've done it all. And you, you won't wake up. You won't pay attention. You come and you go with your worship. You follow your bulletin in and out. You bring me this. You sing that song. And you don't listen to me. Finally, fortunately, lessons from his mission. How can we not at least go to chapter 9? So much in between. Amos says this. Amos says this. You, wonder, you know what God's doing right now? This is not in chapter 9, but I like it, so I'm going to do it. You know what? You, Amos says, you know what God's doing right now? Does anybody know what a plumb bob is? See, some of you do, some of you don't. Oh. A plumb bob is a weighty thing, usually with a string on it like this. And if you want to know if this thing is sitting straight up and down, you hold the string up like this. And, and, and you measure everything off of the way the string is handled. Amos says to Israel, you know what God's doing? God is holding up a plumb bob over Israel. He's measuring it. He's seeing if it's straight. And, and Amos says, and it's not. And you are a crooked people. And then, almost without any transition whatsoever, a little hard to follow actually, kind of like this sermon. I don't care. It's Bible. Just go home and read it. I do care. 9, beginning in verse 11. Quick transition. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. Verse 13. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed, the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them in their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. You know what I call this when I get to teach it? Watch. This is what I call this. Whoop. You see Amos? Whoop. Amos is down, 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 down. And then, if you, if, you, if you can't see it, let me make it very, very clear to you. Grace. What? Down, down, down. And, and then grace. The Hebrew word for booth here in this verse 11 is Sukkoth. And many people think he's not actually saying booth. He's actually saying the city of Sukkoth. 
And where sucketh? I, I know you, I get a little technical, but if you get this, you, you're going to see something astounding, at least that I think, when it comes out of the book of Amos. He's saying, I'm going to restore, I'm going to rebuild Succoth. Succoth was not in Israel. Succoth was on the other side of the Jordan River, out in Moab, out in a foreign country, out where the place where David had his foreign capital, his headquarters, when he fought against the Moabites and the Ammonites, when he fought against the Edomites. This was the headquarters over there, but it had long been destroyed by the Assyrians. But God says, one day, in that day I will raise up the booth, or the sucketh of David that has fallen, and repair its breaches, and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, not Israel, not in Israel. All, uh-oh, there it is. I'm finished. Would you stay with me? Because it's you. That's how important it is. It's you. And all the nations... Wait a minute. We only have one nation. It's Israel. You would say to me, Pastor, you know, we just got finished. Exodus, these are words for Israel. This is for Israel. And even Amos is for the gospel to the nations. Say it again. Even Amos is for the gospel to for the nations that they may possess in verse 12 the remnant of Edom and that all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this and when did he do it watch me when did he do it when did he do it when did he do it when did he do it, did he do it? I'm not there yet I'm there Whoa, I'm only one page off. How about that? You know where I am? I'm at this place in the New Testament. What time is it now? I'm at this place in the New Testament where they're arguing about what the gospel is. And they're arguing and they're saying, you know, I really think that a person needs to be from Israel. I think a person needs to be Jewish. I think they need to keep the Jewish law. Why this gospel of Jesus Christ has got to be for Jews. Of course, you know, the Apostle Paul going to places like Galatia and all over the Mediterranean world and saying, no, the gospel is going to the Gentiles. Well, he said, we can't have this. we got to meet up about this. And so, right there in Acts chapter 15, whoa, Acts chapter 15, they get together and say, who's the gospel for? Who's the gospel for? And, and and different ones are preaching there. And Paul, they're listening to Paul. They're li listening to James. They're listening to Peter. And all of the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul. As they related what signs and wonders had God had done through them among the among the among the ethne. Among the ethne. Among the ethnic groups, it's the Greek word for Gentiles or nations. What God is doing among the nations. They had, when they had finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles, the nations, to take from them a people for his own name. God 
has going out to the Gentiles, to the nations, and he's bringing people in for his own name. And with these words of the prophets who agree just as it is written. What do you say? Do you say the prophets? Just as it is written? Wonder, wonder who he's going to quote. Just as it is written by the prophet. Wonder who he's going to quote. And after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. God did it. God did it. And do you know what? God's still doing it today. Oh, people of God, what will you be? Will you be Israel? If you're going to be Israel, then with great humility, with great fear, but also with great confidence, there's a lion roaring, and you better be prepared to meet your God. Because we are living in the days of Amos. However, we are also living in chapter 9, verses 11 through 15 of Amos. And God is bringing him in. God is bringing him in. Are you that person? Do you need to hear the voice of God? To call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved? To be a part of that? Or will you harden your heart against him? And be one of those people that has nothing but fear in preparing to meet your God. Pray with me, would you? Lord, I pray that the gospel that we have sung, the gospel that we have seen from your word, that word of grace that comes at the Amos, reap a harvest. I pray, God, that you would call from the nations, from the Gentiles, those who are appointed for your name. May we hear. May we hear even the words of the Apostle Paul. Oh, I know your love. I know your grace. I know your affection. I know your joy. But now even Paul says, I challenge you. I challenge you to excel even more. More and more and more. God, I thank you for a people who responds to hurting people, poor people who are hit by a hurricane, and we sacrifice. And yet you know our heart. Are we sacrificing from our abundance? Or are we genuinely recognizable as your people? Oh God, may justice rain down like the waters. May we hear your voice and receive your blessing and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Pastor Church. Let's stand and respond to the word of the Lord today. Prayer team's going to be at the front. As we sing, if you'd like to receive prayer, I encourage you to come.